Welcome back to season 11, episode 28 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the extraordinary lectures from the DocSF Experience 2023. My name is Dr. Stefan Obini. I will be your host for this podcast. In our next episode, you'll hear from Anne Stadjuhar. And please join me as we welcome Anne to the DocSF stage. Next speaker up. 15 minutes. I'm enjoying this because the three teams that have come to see you are exciting human beings. It's Anne Sujacha. Thank you for being here. She's the chief growth officer and a partner for Decimal Health. By the way, I love that title, Decimal Health. It's got a great tone to it. Her subject matter is titled Integration Layer. What is it? Why should it care? And in speaking with Anne, I mean, this lady is prolific in her connecting of the dots. When I was speaking with her, time flew very fast. And she was relating so many different concepts that only an aficionado can understand. And I want you to enjoy her company for the next 15 minutes. Oh, thank you. I am the thing that is standing between you and the bar and shutting this down. But I am a professed digital health addict. I've been in digital health for about 20 years, bringing a lot of different and novel concepts from even STARS ratings and physician online appointment scheduling to MIPS workflows inside of the EHRs and platforms and have had the pleasure of working for some interesting companies, including the advisory board company where I was the VP of digital healthcare consumerism and then working inside of Optum, where admittedly I ran screaming after. But nonetheless, digital therapeutics and what are digital therapeutics how many are familiar with that at all in the term of digital therapeutics? Okay, so not that as many as I had hoped, but the digital therapeutic in a nutshell is software that provides a therapeutic benefit. It is meant to be stood up independently and be able to manage and treat a disorder or disease. And it's ultimately really a companion for patients when they are not with their physicians, right? The physician can't be with the patient all of the time. And there is a great opportunity for these digital therapeutics to ultimately hold the hand of the patient and be able to treat. Now, there's a big distinction between digital health and getting all the way to the top of the pyramid of being a digital therapeutic. You can imagine the differentiation between a software that says, I can help you sleep and a software that is capable of saying, I treat your chronic illness and disease. And in fact, I can help with your, for instance, anything to do with psychological or depressive disorders, or I can actually treat your insomnia. Somhurst is actually one of the really good examples of a digital therapeutic that needed to be prescribed by doctors. Unfortunately, Pair Therapeutics has filed bankruptcy and is actually going to be in auction next week and $50 million in the hole. So it's early days in the infancy of digital therapeutics, but we're ultimately kind of seeing what's happening. What is going on right now, though, is ultimately they have not quite figured out the appropriate business model for it yet. So in terms of the emergent and rapid growth of digital therapeutics, there's been over 40 FDA-approved digital therapeutics. It's increased tenfold in the last five years. In terms of oh my orthopedics in particular, we see a lot of tools that are specific around chronic pain management. Again, Pear did have a solution that was treating that. You see tools like Kaya. 
I don't know if you guys have heard or seen any of those, but ultimately this market is growing dramatically. I think it was certainly fueled by a little bit of the bubble that we've had in healthcare for the past few years and all of the VC money that has certainly flown into the market. And I think Pear definitely put everybody on its heels a little bit. But at the end of the day, this rapid growth is definitely out there. The problem is, is, you know, it's running into the wall and that wall is physician adoption. It continues to remain low, largely because of burnout, workflow efficiencies that are not really easy for the doctor to be able to prescribe these. It needs the simplicity in the documentation. The physicians are already spending too much time in their EHRs in terms of the bells and the whistles that are going off with the 50 plus digital therapeutics that are out there. They're not 100% sure what they should be writing. It takes a lot of time too for the doctors to actually be able to sit down and train and understand these therapeutics, let alone get their patients onboarded to them. And physicians aren't really sure on what their role should be when it comes to implementing digital therapeutics. A lot of organizations and AMCs right now are looking to validate the outcomes of digital therapeutics. In fact, I've got a few, if anybody's interested, that are looking to create some of these clinical trials. But it's a little bit sad and depressing, and it may all drive us to want to get a drink after this, but there's been less than 4% of physicians actually utilizing digital health tools and digital therapeutics. And the increase has only been 1.6% over the past seven years. So the good news is, is we actually conducted a study of digital therapeutics. And what we found was very interesting. And that's that the majority of doctors, over 80%, would actually like to prescribe a digital therapeutic. And out of the physicians that we surveyed, you know, I think we had a little bit of a robust response that 25% of them had actually already tried to prescribe. And I think that was the nature of the audience of the survey in general. But the reason why providers are wanting to prescribe DTX is because there's inadequate existing treatment options. They've been shown to have great clinical efficacy. And really, patients are looking for something else other than a pill sometimes. The problem is, is that it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort to ultimately get and become a digital therapeutic at a prescription level. FDA status and breakthrough status on some of these DTXs is incredibly complicated and incredibly time-consuming. And I think that there is a long road ahead of us in terms of really being able to get these approved and get them out there. Right now, I would say pharmaceutical companies are kind of the best equipped to help augment digital therapeutics. A lot of the digital therapeutics will have a molecule on top of them that can help with mediterrance, endurance, getting patients through side effects. But you're seeing pharmaceutical companies used to kind of the longer trajectory and the clinical trials and the path that is ultimately needed to get digital therapeutic adoption. But we are seeing a few of these stand alone. Unfortunately, the runway is ultimately running out. The thing that I find the most interesting about orthopedics in general and the opportunity in orthopedics for digital therapeutics is RTM codes. When you look at digital therapeutics, one of the things that paratherapeutics did was have a HexPex code. HexPex codes don't really benefit doctors. Why would they spend the time? Why are they going to be interested in actually writing these? But RTM codes, which were just released by CMS in 2022, do give the physician some opportunity to have incentive to actually 
take charge and learn about digital therapeutics and be able to write them. The thing about the RTM codes, though, is they were specifically set up for physical therapists and physical medicine. So what's nice is, I don't know how many of you are familiar with RPM codes, but RPM codes came out in 2019. They didn't have built-in coaches, so to speak, that could actually sit and observe all of the data that the devices and everything was spitting up. With orthopedics and with physical therapists and RTM, you've actually got a built-in coach in many cases. So that is one of the nice things that actually may help with the adoption of remote therapeutic monitoring. Right now, though, we see about $160 on average that can be utilized and billed with these CMS codes, our CPT codes. But, you know, what's tricky is that it is with CMS. And so one of the things that we're actually anticipating is that it may take a while to get some of the adoption. They just were released last year. In terms of RPM, I always like to use RPM a little bit as a proxy of what we may see with RTM and differentiate between the two. But remote patient monitoring referred to the use of digital technologies capturing and analyzing patients' physiologic data. So blood pressure cuffs, scales, all of the glucose monitors, pulse ox were all used heavily with RPM. RPM in particular saw a little bit of a lift, and I'll go into some of those numbers, but in terms of RTM and where it differentiates, These codes are used to capture and analyze outcomes for a therapeutic response in the patient and adherence to a treatment. So they're specifically designed for musculoskeletal, cognitive behavioral therapy, and then respiratory therapy. So clinicians are able to review the data, make sure the patient stayed and adhered to the regimen, and ultimately in the review of that data, be able to bill and be able to receive some monies for that RTM code. Very different from RPM, where they have to review ultimately all of this physiologic data that's taken in by the devices as well. But when we look at RPM uptake by providers since 2019, and again, I want to use this as a proxy, less than 5,000 HCPs utilized RPM in 2019, and it was specifically for Medicare patients in particular, because of course they were initially CMS codes. It took some time. It took about a year of bombarding the commercial insurers with these codes that they finally began to reimburse them and adopt them in 2021, of course, additionally under the duress of the pandemic. So commercial players began to adopt. And since then, we've seen a nice CAGR and about 8,000 HCPs have written and are billed for the CPT codes for RPM since 2021. So still not the best uptake. I think, but we're getting there and it is definitely getting better. When we look at the marketplace and because these RTM codes have come out, what we're seeing is certainly a rush and a rush to the market of companies and playing in this virtual care model with PT, there's a combination of solutions that are out there. So we've got visiting physical therapists that you guys might be familiar with or used to, of course, good old Fox will go to your house and do the physical therapy treatments. Additionally, you've got some hybrid scenarios with organizations like Luna and Kaya. Now, Luna and Kaya are digital therapeutics that have gone directly to the payer as well as the employer and are able to asynchronously treat the patient with a digital therapeutic in conjunction with a PT They can go to the house or teach these patients how to do these exercises, treat their chronic pain, and actually hopefully reduce the opportunity to need to go to visit a physician. 
So it's a interesting model. They haven't quite figured out what they're going to do here. In my experience in working with the payers and Optum, what I found is they would often be more than happy to give these startup companies their very complex and difficult population to try and treat. We're still waiting for the long-term outcomes to see whether or not it's going to be successful. But they've had significant uptake because the payers are willing to give Luna and Kaya a leg up in terms of marketing directly to the patient through their employer too and getting them to use some of these devices. There are organizations like Kins. Kins is a really interesting model. It's a redesigned health company. They actually have a hybrid asynchronous approach where they bill under an AMC or a health systems tin. So they're able to use the negotiated rates with the health system, but ultimately have what I would call like the Uber of physical therapy, where they have on-demand physical therapists that will go into the patient's house, asynchronously treat them from telemedicine visits as well, but really truly be an extension of the hospital and allow for reduction in leakage. They can play both sides of the fence too in a fee-for-service or a value-based care world. So in looking at a lot of the models, I like their model because I think there's good uptake. Additionally, you see a ton of software-only solutions. There's been a rapid investment. Again, as soon as an RTM code comes out, you're seeing a lot of companies enter that space where they're simply able to provide physical therapy and exercise regimens for the patient, and then it's a path to billing. This, to me, gets a little bit tricky and almost a little bit of a race to the bottom, unless, of course, they're able to go for something. It, much like RPM, you saw hundreds and hundreds of RPM companies come out. You're now seeing consolidation, you're seeing roll-ups, you're seeing a lot of them go out of business too, in terms of the model. But nonetheless, there is a lot of activity in the orthopedic space for software-only solutions providing physical therapy. Hinge and Sword Health are pretty interesting because they're true hybrids in that they have actual devices that help measure the physiologic movements of the patients so they can bill for RPM, RTM, and then additionally, they're actually in many cases to a digital therapeutic. So when I look at orthopedics, it's actually the one specialty that has the most opportunity and most momentum in the digital therapeutic and RPM and RTM space. I don't think that's by mistake and design. I think orthopedics has a tendency to be a lot more progressive and advanced, but there's a big opportunity here. I would say additionally, there's the hardware-dependent only therapeutics, like Exer Health is VR. So they're able to do physical therapy through using VR and doing some of the movements that way. But nonetheless, orthopedics is definitely a great place for digital therapeutics, RPM and RTM. Here's the crux of this, though. If RTM follows a similar trajectory as RPM, then there's little uptake that's actually expected in 2023. This can be frustrating for certainly the investors, as well as the digital therapeutic companies themselves, because it does take some time for adoption. In 2023, we're going to be fighting against the commercial insurers, ultimately, and sending in these CPT codes and hoping and keeping our fingers crossed that they will reimburse. Hopefully, a lot of them will. But even with that expectation, we see the growth of actual uptake of some of these RTM codes being about 1,000 HCPs by 2024. So not to end on a, again, we all need to drink now. But uh, it's somewhat of a, 
a depressing note, but I do think that, you know, like I said, orthopedics in general could actually lead the charge here for a much bigger adoption. So in terms of optimistic view, a thousand providers adopting RTM by mid-2024. And looking at some of this in terms of the claims and in terms of what the total TAM is, it can be a little bit slow, but this does take time. I would say over the next seven years, five to seven years, which is the typical curve for adoption, we'll of course see quite a bit more uptake. But, you know, I would say that when choosing your RTM or DTX or RPM providers, one of the things to look for is certainly what their runway is and the reality that it's going to take some time for adoption. And knowing that when you choose your partners that you might not want to choose necessarily like a fly-by-night organization and hoping that they can be there with you for the long run. But it's an interesting time in digital therapeutics. So thank you. So it seems like the behavior patterns of our industry, being the Yoda of the industry, I consider you the Yoda, is dependent on the flow of money. Seems like the entire industry is functioning on behavior following where money is placed. Do you think that'll ever change? You know, in terms of behavior following bubble, (laughs) no. You know, I think it's exciting and certainly there is that Russian flow of money. I don't know that that will entirely change. The bubble is bursting a little bit, but I think that's actually causing some people to double down and take a little bit closer look at where they're investing and what's got the legs Mm. to go longer. Like I said, pharmaceutical companies in particular, I think in digital therapeutics, align well on their clinical evidence and the time it takes for them to get a drug to market. If they treat it with that same philosophy, then it should play out over time like a pharmaceutical would. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we do, please share them with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It means a lot to us when you do. 